just from Willie. Uh, I don't know what number it is. Good morning, everybody. Uh, if you would, turn with me to First Peter. Peter. And the wind is blowing pretty hard up here, so I might have to rearrange my Bible a few hundred times, but that's okay. I'm thankful for the breeze. Praise God for the breeze. The Lord led me to uh, to First Peter this week in my studies, and I think it might be helpful to understand why Peter wrote First Peter, why the Holy Spirit inspired him to write this letter. The, the word suffering appears 15 times, and there's several different Greek words used. I think there's about eight different Greek words used for the types, various types of suffering, and uh, he talks about suffering 15 times, and he talks about glory 10 times. And in the economy of God, there is no glory without suffering. Uh, one of my favorite songs is by the Martins. I don't know if you guys remember them or not, but they had a, had a song that says that the, there's not a victory without a fight. There's not a sunrise without a, a night. There's not a purchase without a cost. And there's not a crown without a cross. Now, Peter is an aged man when he writes this. He wouldn't live many more years. It's dated around somewhere around 64, 65 AD. And he writes to these believers who are scattered. These are Messianic Jews that he's writing to, uh, Jews who believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, Hebrew Christians, if you prefer that nomenclature. But he's writing to them, and they're scattered abroad. They're like, somewhat like sheep uh, without a shepherd. You know, after the persecution of Stephen, after Stephen was stoned, that the Jews were dispersed, the Jewish Christians were dispersed among the Gentile nations because of the intense persecution. And so Peter is writing to encourage them. Now, something that's going to happen very soon, and Peter perhaps knows this by the, the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, is that Emperor Nero, and by the way, he's the one who killed both Paul and Peter, crazy Emperor Nero would burn Rome. He would set Rome on fire because he wanted to rebuild the city. We're seeing that in our own culture. We're seeing the devil is trying to set America on fire so that he can reinvent uh, the new America, as it were. And Nero, Emperor Nero, burned Rome. He set it on fire so that he could rebuild it and he could have uh, reinvent history, as it were. And Nero, he would blame the Christians. And so in the coming years, there will be a great anti-Christian sentiment in, these, in the provinces of Rome because Nero had blamed the Christians for burning down the city when indeed he was the one who had done it. Isn't that just like the devil? Woe to those who call evil good and call good evil. The blame is always in the wrong place. But Peter writes to these believers, 1 Peter chapter 1. He says, Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to the strangers scattered throughout Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia. And I'm going to take this verse by verse. So let's look at this first verse here. We're only going to look at the first nine verses this morning. Peter is an apostle. He was one sent from God. Peter is uniquely qualified to, to speak to these believers. He had been with Jesus from the beginning. Peter started out as a disciple of John the Baptist. He was one of the first followers of the Lord Jesus Christ 
and he was with him to the end. We know that, that Peter was rather impulsive, but he was the leader of the apostles. In every list of names where the apostles are named, Peter's name is always listed first. He is the leader. Jesus said unto Peter was given the keys of the kingdom. We find on the day of Pentecost, Peter is given the door. He is, he's given the key to open up uh, to all the pilgrims there on Pentecost. We find in Acts chapter 8, Peter's got the key and he's opening up the door to the Samaritans to hear the gospel. Then we find Peter in Acts chapter 10. He's got the key that's opening up for the Gentiles and the household of Cornelius. Peter is an important figure in church history. Acts chapter 1 through 12 is pretty much the story of the apostle Peter. Luke, Luke looked at Peter as a very important figure in the early church. No doubt that he was. He was the apostle to the circumcision. Peter is also the apostle of hope, just like Paul is the apostle of faith and John is the apostle of love. Hope is important to Peter. Peter, the apostle, he's got the authority to speak because he was one who was picked by Jesus Christ himself. I love what Jesus said to Peter and the rest. Peter had talked about how he had left everything to follow Jesus. Jesus said, you've not chosen me, but I've chosen you. And I've ordained you that you should bring forth fruit and that your fruit should remain. Glory to God. And so he writes to the strangers. Now, these are actually, uh, they were aliens by nationality. They were aliens living in a strange land. They were not uh, in, in Palestine or they were not in ancient Israel. They were scattered in the region. Now, these five regions that were mentioned here in First Peter, they're actually modern day Turkey. Modern day Turkey, if you want to look on your map to kind of get a, a feel for what, where, where these Jews have been dispersed. And the, 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 the term scattered in the Greek is diaspora. And that is, means to be scattered abroad. These are these Jewish believers who have been scattered in the regions, the provinces of Rome throughout Turkey or Asia Minor. And in a very real sense, they were strangers in a strange land. But I want to say this to you, Christian. If you're a believer in Jesus Christ, this world is not your home. You too are a stranger in a strange land. Later on in this letter, Peter would say, I beseech you as strangers and pilgrims, I, I beseech you to abstain from fleshly lust that war against the soul. He tells the believers to be holy, for God is holy. We are. I don't know about you, but the more I watch the news, and I try not to watch a whole lot of it, but the more I see social media and the more I read the news, I have come to this realization that this world is indeed not my home. I was not created for this world. I was created for another place. This world does not reflect my values. Satan, the Bible says, is the god of this world. Paul says in 2 Corinthians 4, he's the god of this present age. And he is the prince of the power of the air. The reason the world is so messed up is because 1 John 5 says the whole world lies in wickedness. In the Greek, it means the whole world lies in the lap of the evil one. Marvel not, brethren. You know, our, uh, Satan wants us to think that our enemy is one another. We've got Republicans and Democrats fighting. We've got whites and blacks fighting. We've got all these different factions fighting, maskers and no maskers. But let me tell you what, your enemy is not your brother. We fight, we fight a spiritual enemy. Paul says that we do not war with flesh and blood, but we are wrestling with principalities and powers and rulers of the darkness of this age and spiritual wickedness in high places. Wake up, dear friend. Wake up. There's a battle. Put on the whole armor of God. Verse 2. Peter says, I'm writing to the elect according to the foreknowledge of God the Father through sanctification of the Spirit unto obedience and sprinkling of the blood of Jesus Christ. Grace unto you and peace be multiplied. This phrase, peace be multiplied, are in the last three Messianic uh, Jewish epistles. The 
First Peter, Second Peter, and Jude all express this this same thing, this same thought that they should be multiplied. But let's look at that first word, elect. Now a lot of people get nervous when we talk about the elect, but the Bible's the, the, the doctrine of election is throughout the New Testament. You cannot deny it. To deny it is to deny the Word of God itself. What does it mean to be elect? The Bible says it's to be chosen. Ephesians 1 says that if you're born again, that you have been chosen from the foundation of the world, that you should be holy and without blame before Him in love. We are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, that we should offer up sacrifices, spiritual sacrifices unto God. Elect according to the foreknowledge of God. Now, I'm going to upset your apple cart even more this morning. Some people, when they talk about foreknowledge, they think it simply means that God was aware of the future. Well, I just want to say one word for you, and not in Greek, but in English. Duh. Yeah, God knows the future. God knows everything. He knows the end from the beginning. This foreknowledge is not simply an awareness of what the future holds, but this foreknowledge is intimate. This means that God knew you intimately. God knew you. Notice he says you're chosen, you're elect according to the foreknowledge of God. If you're a believer, God knew you before you were even born. He told Jeremiah, he says, I knew you in the womb. I knew you before your mother's, uh, before you were formed in your mother's womb. I knew you, I ordained you, I sanctified you to be a prophet. In the book of Amos, God says, only you to Israel, only you have I known among all nations. God knows everybody. Have you ever read Matthew chapter 7? I know you have because I've preached from it. And those people are standing on the last day and they're saying, Lord, we preached in your name. We prophesied. We cast out demons in your name. And what does Jesus say to them? Depart from me. I never knew you. Now, does, did God not know who they were? Was he, was he like, where did these people come from? <laughs> it's not that he wasn't aware of, of their existence. It's that he did not foreknow them. They were not among the elect chosen from the foundation of the world. Now, why is Peter driving this point home at the beginning of this letter? Because he's writing to Christians who are suffering. When you're suffering and going through trials, I'm not going to ask for a show of hands, but how many of you are going through trials right now? Don't answer. You don't have to honk your horn. I know because I'm your pastor. I know you're going through difficult times. I go th I'm going through difficult times too. These are challenging times. Some of you are facing trials, uh, financial trials. Some of you are facing trials in your health. Some of you are facing trials in your marriage. Some of you are facing trials with family members. Some of you are experiencing persecution from unbelievers. The, the people that Peter is writing to, they're suffering all of these things. And what, how do we draw strength? By, by understanding that our world, that this world is not our home and that we have been chosen for something greater. We've been elect according to the knowledge of God the Father. Now that's something we're not privy to. That's, that's God's side of things. You see, when people fall into the ditch is when they emphasize one thing uh, to, over the other. Some people are all on the quote free will thing over in the ditch over here and they think it's all about human beings and other people are all on the, uh, the sovereignty side and they think it's all God's uh, dealing. But there's both. There's both the sovereignty of God and the responsibility of man. And I'll get to that if you'll just let me preach just a little while longer. And he says, elect according to the foreknowledge of God the Father. One more thing about foreknowledge. Uh, there are some that believe that, that this means that God looked down the corridor of time and he saw who would believe in him. And based on that, he chose them to be the elect. Let me show you some problems with that, that, that line of thinking. Number one, it takes God off the throne and puts man on the throne. It, it, it's as if God looked at us and saw something good. As if he looked through the corridors of time and said, boy, Henry's going to turn out to be really good. We ought to save him. No, the Bible says there's, no, there's none good. No, not one. The other problem is, is that it, it presupposes that man somehow would choose God independent of him calling him. 
And that's not true because the Bible says that there is none that seeketh after God. No, not one. Jesus said, no man comes to me unless the Father draws him by the Spirit of God, and I will raise him up at the last day. I used to work with a lady, and she, uh, she would always talk about going to church. And she'd say, one of these days, I'm going to go down to that church, and I'm going to get saved. And I was a sinner at that time, but I still knew it didn't work like that. You don't just decide one day you're going to get saved. You can't come unless God draws you. And that's why, sinner, if God is calling you right now, if he's drawing you, don't resist him. His spirit will not always strive with him. Notice the Trinity in this verse. The foreknowledge of God the Father, but there's also sanctification of the Spirit. When you got born again, you got sanctified by the Holy Spirit. You were set apart. And also, Jesus Christ is here, the sprinkling of his blood. So, the sovereignty of God is in choosing me from the foundation of the world. And also, when Jesus Christ died on that cross, my salvation was secure as far as Jesus is concerned. But as far as my responsibility came in, that happened to me in 1996 when I finally listened to the voice of the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit called out to me, and I repented of my sins. That's where the human responsibility comes in. Notice he says, uh, uh, sanctification of the Spirit unto obedience. Now, that doesn't mean we're saved by works, but as Paul refers to it in Romans chapter 1, it's the obedience of faith. I obey because I have faith, not the other way around. We have, uh, it is God who works. God says, work out your salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God that works in you, both to will and to do of his good pleasure. And the sprinkling of the blood of Jesus Christ. This is reminiscent of when Moses sprinkled the blood on the people. When he was uh, uh, confirming the covenant. God was confirming the covenant with the children of Israel. Grace and peace be multiplied unto you. Grace is the Greek greeting. Peace is the Hebrew greeting. I think maybe we ought to greet one another this way. Grace and shalom. Grace and shalom. And Peter says, my thoughts for you is that this, these two things would be multiplied. They would be abundant in your life. Now in verse 3, we have a tremendous doxology of praise here. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Hallelujah. Amen. Can we say that together? Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. And now he's going to tell us some reasons why we ought to praise him. It says, number one, according to his abundant mercy, he hath begotten us again unto a lively hope by the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. We can praise God because out of his mercy, oh, aren't you thankful for God's mercy? I'm thankful that his mercies are new every day. Lamentations is one of the saddest books in the Bible, if the title didn't give it away. <laughs> Lamentations is one of the saddest books in the Bible, but it has one, one of the, the, the brightest glimmers of hope. In the midst of all that lamentation, he says, the mercies of the Lord are new every day. Therefore, sons of Jacob are not consumed, and that applies to us too. Thank God that every day his mercies are new. As high as the heavens are above the earth, as, as far as the east is from the west, he's removed our transgressions from us. His mercy is great toward them that fear him. He's, uh, according to his abundant mercy, he has begotten us. Do you see that God, it says that God has begotten us? Who did it? God did it. James says it this way, of his own will begat he us with the word of truth, that we should be a kind of first fruits of his creatures, of his creation. John's gospel says it this way. He says, unto them that received him, excuse me, he came into his own, his own received him not, but unto as many as received him, to them gave he power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name. Those who were begotten, not of the will of man, but of the will of God. It was God's will for you to be born again. The, if you are born again this morning, 
It didn't happen by accident. It happened because you were chosen in him for, before the foundation of the world, that God had foreknowledge of you, that he knew you, and that in time and space, see, God's outside of time and space, but one day in time and space, you heard the voice of the Holy Spirit, and you heard the gospel. You see, God ordains not only the end, but also the means. You say, well, uh, what does it mean if I'm chosen? Does that mean I have to do nothing? No. You, your responsibility is to repent and believe the gospel. God has to choose us, but we have to choose him as well. That is the, the human responsibility. We have to, uh, to, to accept him by faith. And he says here, he's begotten us into a lively hope. Now, now notice the phrase here. He says, it's a living hope. You know, hope in the world is a, is a fading hope. It's a dying hope. And most of the time when we use the word hope, there's a whole lot of doubt in it. It would be like me saying, uh, Henry, is the parking lot going to be full this morning? And I would say, well, I hope so. But the reality is I probably believe there's going to be some empty parking spaces, right? But, but this is a living hope. Now, why is it a living hope? What is it grounded in? It's grounded in the fact that Jesus Christ has come back from the dead. And because Jesus has come back from the dead, that means that I am going to come back from the dead one day, even if I die. But I hope to go in the rapture. But either way, no matter what happens to me in this life, I have a living hope. And that hope cannot be taken away from me. Now, Paul outlines this process of hope in Romans chapter 5. I'm not going to turn there this morning. But he talks about how that, uh, that tribulation works patience and patience experience and experience hope. And hope makes not a shame because the love of God is poured out in our hearts by the Holy Ghost. And it says in Romans 8, I believe, he says we are saved in hope. He says hope that is seen is not hope. For what a man sees, why does he yet hope for? But see, we're hoping for what we don't see yet. And we have confidence because Jesus Christ came back from the dead that God's got everything under control. God has every detail of your life under control. Let's move on. Verse 4. He says, To an inheritance incorruptible, undefiled, that fadeth not away, reserved in heaven for you. Let me say four things here. First of all, it's, it's an, an inheritance that is incorruptible. It means that it will never decay. Jesus said you need to lay up your treasure in heaven where neither thieves can break through and steal. And moth and, and rust does not corrupt. That's where our inheritance is. He says, secondly, it's incorrupt. Uh, excuse me, it's undefiled. It means there'll never be any impurity. Nobody will ever be able to deface it. Nobody will ever be able to uh, to desecrate what God has given unto us. Thirdly, deface not Sometimes I get them off the mantle or I look at them and I notice the years have begun to worn to wear on those things, you know. Uh, pieces of wood have become aged and, and metal gets rusted and, and corrupted. And, and even our own bodies, I look in the mirror and there's more gray hairs than there used to be. And, uh, and I'm softer in the middle than I used to be. And, uh, and that's my own fault. But, but, you know, even our own bodies are, are perishing. The outward man is perishing, but our inward man is being renewed day by day. And finally, he says, it's reserved in heaven for you. It's in, a, it's in, it's in heaven's safety deposit box. Amen. Nobody can get what God's got for you. you. You say, well, a lot of us are living in fear right now. What if the devil steals from me? What if he takes something away from me? You know, there's some things that the devil can't take from you. He can't take, he can't take your eternal life from you. Paul says in Romans 8 that nothing shall separate me from the love of Christ. He can't take the love of God away from you. He can't take away your inheritance in heaven. Now that's good news. 
And one final note about the, the, the reward and the inheritance here, and Sister Judy alluded to this in her prayer earlier. You know, I was reading in Genesis where God appeared to Abraham after the, uh, the battle with the kings, and, and, and God appeared to Abraham, and he said, Abraham, I am your shield, and I am your exceeding great reward. You know, when we talk about rewards, and I preached on this last Wednesday night about the various crowns that are, you know, available and, and that kind of thing. And I think we often think of heaven in terms of crowns and jewels and mansions and all that stuff. But let me tell you the real secret of the glory of heaven is that we will be with the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. That is the real secret of heaven. It's not jasper walls and all that stuff. That's going to be great. But the real joy of heaven is that we'll get, finally get to see the one who created us. You know, isn't that your deepest desire is to, is to be understood? Isn't that what we all want? Isn't that what we all want is, to, is for somebody to understand us? We want that in a relationship. We want that in a friendship. You know, there's somebody that understands you better than anybody, and that's the one who created you. And one day you'll get to see the one who made you. And do you know you were created not just to, uh, to live a, li a pointless life, to, to, to clock out, and work Monday through Friday and, and do whatever on the weekend, you were created for God's glory. Amen. You were created for His enjoyment. God delights in you. God loves you with an everlasting love. Okay, now the inheritance is being guarded in the safety deposit box of heaven, but guess what else is being guarded? Verse 5, he says, you are being guarded. Oh, hallelujah. He says, you, we, are kept by the power of God. Now, now, this term guarded by the power of God or kept is a Greek term, which is a military term. It means that, that God is standing on guard over our salvation. Aren't you glad God is watching over your salvation? Amen. Paul said, if God be for us, who can be against us? Literally, if you take out the italics in, in Romans 8, it says, if God for us, who against us? If God for us, who against us? You see, you see the trinities that work in our salvation. The Father has chosen us from the foundation of the world. Jesus Christ died for you. And now he's in the presence of God. He is at the right hand of the Father, ever living to make intercession for the saints. And the Spirit of God is working on your behalf too, always leading us to repentance. We're kept by the power of God through faith, and that's the human responsibility here. The reason your faith is going to last, the reason you're going to make it to heaven is because the author and the finisher of your faith the one who began a good work in you is faithful to perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. So believe me, you're going to make it. I don't know what you're going to face in this life, but I know you're going to make it. He says, ready to be revealed in the last time. Verse 6. Now here's where the good stuff, don't, don't lose me yet. I know it's warming up. The breeze is not as strong as it was when I first started preaching, but stick with me just a little while longer. It'll be well worth the journey. Verse 6, he says, wherein you greatly rejoice. Do you greatly rejoice? If you don't, you ought to, because you've got an inheritance that's incorruptible, that's, a, that's reserved in heaven for you. You're being kept by the power of God. No matter what you suffer in this life, God has your best interest at heart, dear friend. You greatly rejoice, though now for a season. Notice, I want to offer you some perspective this morning. I want to offer, you know, perspective is a wonderful thing. I often like to say in the grand scheme of things. That's one of my favorite phrases. I know people get tired of me saying that. But I like to say that. You know, because sometimes we, we get all torqued out, as I say, or all bent out of shape because things go wrong. You know, we, things go wrong on a daily basis. But we have to keep in mind, you know, in the grand scheme of things, 
This is just a hiccup on the road to eternity. Paul said it this way, for I reckon, and that, that he doesn't use the term as we use it in the South. He says, for I reckon that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be revealed, worthy to be compared with the glory that will be revealed in us. The sufferings are not reckoned uh, to be compared with the glory. And Peter says here that you greatly rejoice that for a season. You know, trials don't come to stay. They come to pass. No matter what you're going through right now, one day it'll be over. One day your problems will be, will be over with. You know, everybody, I should have been honking your horn right now. I wasn't fishing for an amen, but I'm going to. One day, every problem that you're worried about right now is going to be over. If you're a believer. If you're a believer. Now, if you're an unbeliever, the worst is yet to come. But if you're a believer, the best is yet to come. He says, if need be, look at, look at that phrase in verse 6. If need be, you are in heaviness through manifold temptations. Now, this word manifold temptations is, is also expressed as various trials. You know, there's different kinds of trials, aren't they? Some trials are kind of annoying. Some trials are inconvenient. But others are very distressing. Others are very perplexing. Others will draw, drive you to your knees and say, why, God? I don't understand, Lord. trying to honor you God you know sometimes you pay your tithes and offerings and yet you still suffer a financial setback you know and if you listen to the TV preachers you'll get off in the ditch because they tell you you send your money to them you'll be rich you'll never have any problems they've never read first Peter I challenge every prosperity preacher to read first Peter in its entirety in its context sometimes we go through hiccups sometimes we go through big big things sometimes we uh, we suffer but remember that our trials are only for a season. Verse 7, and here's, here's, the, here, here's the important part. He says that the trial of your faith, being much more precious of gold than perishes, though it be tried with fire, might be found unto praise and honor and glory at the appearing of Jesus Christ. Notice the reason that you and I go through the troubles that we are. And Peter says in verse 6, he says, there are some things that we've got to go through. Now the TV preacher won't tell you that. But there's some stuff that you cannot bypass. There's some stuff that you can, you're going to have to go through. Jeremiah talked about the potter, you know, the potter's house. And when you're on the potter's wheel, it can get painful because he's molding and shaping you and, and, and removing things that, that are not beneficial in your life. God will purge you. Jesus said every tree that bears fruit, he'll prune it so that it can bear more fruit. There's some things that you will have to go through in this life. But the reason is because your faith is being tried. You know, we, we throw out this cliche all the time. And we'll say, well, that happen everything happens for a reason. Yeah, and sometimes that reason is because we did something good. You know, if I get out in the street and, and I start playing uh, basketball in the street and I get run over by a car, you can say, well, everything happens for a reason. Yeah, it's because I was being a dummy. And sometimes we make bad choices. And, and God's not mocked. Whatever we sow, we're also going to reap. Sometimes we make bad decisions and we reap the consequences of said actions. But I want you to realize this, that when you're trying to do the right thing, when you're living for God and you're going through suffering and you're going through trials and you're going through discouragement and you are feeling the pressure of life, understand that your faith is being tried. And God is not doing this because he wants you to fail. He's already told you in the scripture 
that your faith is, is, is secure because God's chosen you and because the Spirit of God and the blood of Jesus is washing you from every sin. And he's already told you. that. So God's not doing this to, to see if you're going to believe or not. He already knows that your, your faith is going to make it because he's the author and the finisher of your faith. But he's perfecting your faith. But he says the trial of your faith, he says it's going to be tried by fire. I don't know why we get this impression that when we go through trouble... You know, later on in this letter, in, first, in, in, in chapter 4, uh, Peter says, Don't think it's strange concerning the fiery trial. Now, right now, these believers that Peter's writing to, they're going through some persecution, but the fiery trial is coming. Once Nero uh, get, starts giving the edict, you know what Nero would do when he'd rebuild Rome? He'd, real, he'd rebuild that huge Colosseum. You know what it would be used for? It would be used for these gladiator and wrestling competitions. But you know what it would also be used for? To throw Christians to the lions. This is what these believers were facing. And we want to complain about a little bit of persecution here. Nero would encase Christians in wax and light them on fire as human torches. Now these are the people Peter's writing to. These are the things Peter uh, is warning them that are, that are coming. It's going to be found in the praise and honor and glory of the appearing of Jesus Christ. Uh, now I don't want to give you the big head here. And you shouldn't get a big head. But notice at the end of verse 7... You know, we talk about when we stand before God, we're going to give Him glory, and we are going to, believe you me, when we see the one who died for us, who gave Himself for us, and shed His blood for us, we're going to worship Him. But notice it says that our faith in the last day, that if it's been purified, that Jesus Christ is going to commend us. That God's actually going to be satisfied. He's actually going to brag on us. That's biblical, you know. If you're going to be faithful to God, have you ever read the parable of the talents? What did Jesus say to the, one, to the two that were faithful? He says on that day, Well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful in a few things. I will make you ruler over many. Verse 8, he says, Whom having not seen, you love. And whom though you, now you see him not yet believing, you rejoice with joy unspeakable and full of glory. I love the way Peter expresses himself. I hate it when I hear people say, oh, Peter was just a dumb fisherman. No, 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 no. Peter was very intelligent. Uh, people say, well, he had no formal training. And that's true. He had no formal training. He didn't have a doctorate from, uh, uh, from Southeastern Baptist Seminary. But guess what? He spent three years with God in the flesh, Brother Ronnie. Amen. He spent three years being trained by God in the flesh. So... Peter was anything but a, but a dummy. Peter was intelligent. But notice he's writing to these second generation believers. Notice he says, you've never seen them. He's, he's talking to those second generation believers who were not alive when Jesus Christ walked the earth. Or they were not in Israel when he was there. And he says, though you see him not, excuse me, you've not seen him, but you love him. Now I have to just imagine when Peter wrote this, that there was a lot of humility. Peter says, you love him. Remember what Peter got in trouble for in the Gospels? Now, the Peter was always putting his foot in his mouth, it seems. But, but, but at Peter's weakest moment, when Satan had sifted him like wheat, Peter denied his Lord. Remember that? And then God took him to the beach. You remember they had breakfast on the beach. Some of you wish you were at the beach right now. But, uh, but Peter was having breakfast on the beach. And what did Jesus say to Peter three times? You know, he had denied him three times. But what did Jesus say? Do you love me? Do you love me? Do you love me? And Peter says, you've not seen him, but you love him. I'm reminded of Thomas. 
You know, Thomas says, unless I see, I'm not going to believe, unless I can put my hands in the prints of the nails. And Jesus said, you see because you uh, believe. Excuse me, you believe because you see. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. There's another blessing that Jesus pronounced on us this morning. We're blessed because we've never seen him in the flesh, but yet we believe. And Peter says, we don't just rejoice, but he says, we rejoice with joy unspeakable and full of glory. Uh, literally, we're so happy, we can hardly even get it out. Have you ever been just tickled pink? <laughs> you ever been so happy, you just couldn't even hardly express yourself? If not, you ought to get that way. <laughs> Peter says, you ought to get that way. And how, you say, well, Henry, how can I do that? I've, I've got all kinds of trouble. i got a bad doctor's report. You know, my cholesterol's up. My blood pressure's up. Uh, my finances are down. I, I've got all these problems. Yeah, but you have an inheritance that's incorruptible, that's indestructible, that's being kept in heaven's safety deposit box. And even beyond that, you yourself are being guarded and shielded by the power of God. Amen. And your faith is not going to fail. Now, Peter knew a little something about this. I'm about to preach. We've got to wind this thing up. But listen to me. Remember what Jesus said to Peter that night? He said, Satan has desired to shift you as wheat, Peter. He says, you're going to deny me before this night is over. He said, but I have prayed for you that your faith would not fail. Jesus Christ is praying for you and for me. Hallelujah. He's praying for us right now. And because of that, dear friend, your faith is not going to fail. Finally, in verse 9, it's in the present tense, but it's also speaking of the future. Receiving the end of your faith, even the salvation of your souls. You know, this is not the end, folks. I like to remind myself of this a lot. Sometimes we are so short-sighted, we lose sight of the big picture you know they've been showing uh, a lot of old sporting events on television since uh, sports have been canceled and and uh, some of you have been watching those now now I'm gonna confess that I, I'm a little bit carnal here I like to watch the old Rocky movies I like to watch the Rocky movies and so I'm gonna give you a spoiler alert if you don't want to know what happens just plug your ears up for the next couple of seconds here but you know when I'm watching Rocky 3 that's when he fights Mr. T aka Clubber Lang when he's fighting Clubber Lang for the first time, Clubber Lang knocks Rocky's block off. I mean, he just whoops the tar out of him. But you know what? I don't cut the movie off at that point. You know why? Because I've seen the movie, and I know in the end, Rocky's going to whoop up on Clubber Lang. When I watch Rocky Four, yeah, I've seen a few of those movies. When I, when I see Rocky Four and I see the Russian uh, Drago, Ivan Drago, he knocks out Apollo Creed and kills him. I don't lose heart and cut the TV off. I don't say, oh my goodness, this is awful. What a terrible story. I stick around because I know at the end of the movie, little Sylvester Stallone, he's about four foot tall, I think, and fights, you know, seven foot Russian. I know that at the end of this movie, and it is just a movie, of course, because in real life he'd have got pulverized, but I know in, in the movie, Rocky's going to whoop up on that Russian. And so I stick around for the end of the movie, and I watch him training in the snow, you know, in Siberia and all of that stuff. Beloved, let me make this serious now. I've, I've diverted into carnality for a moment. Let me bring this back to a serious point here. The reason you and I can go through various trials, we can endure the sufferings that we go through in this world, we can, we can uh, bear up, we can rejoice with joy unspeakable and full of glory, is because we've read the end of the book. We know how the story ends. 
Whatever you're going through today, I want to tell you, your trouble did not come to stay. It came to pass. It's going to leave one day. It's not your trouble didn't come to stay. It came to pass. One day, if you're born again, if you're washed in the blood of Jesus, we're all going to stand together on the shores of glory and we're going to embrace one another. We're going to love each other. We're going to praise God. We're going to thank Him that we have overcome by the blood of the Lamb and because of His power, He has reserved us. And we're going to rejoice in that day, receiving the end of our faith. You know, one day there's going to be a payday. There's going to be a payday for the unbeliever. If you don't believe in Jesus Christ, you don't submit to Him, you'll get your payday at the white throne judgment. Don't do that. There's a, there's a way of rescue, but believer, if you believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, there's coming a payday. There's a payday coming for you, believer. And when we appear before the judgment seat of Christ, John says we may have boldness in the day of judgment. Because as he is, so are we in this world. I forget that I'm outside. I was going to ask you, would you stand? <laughs> That'd be kind of tough in your vehicle. But I want to invite you. If you don't know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, don't you leave this parking lot. Don't you leave this broadcast without turning your life over to him. Jesus said, the one who comes to me, I will in no wise cast out. You can't come unless God draws you. But if God does draw you and you come to Jesus, you have this assurance that if you come to him in sincere faith, he will not cast you out. And if you believe in him, if you put your faith and your trust in him, if you repent of your sins and believe what God has said about his son, then he will raise you up at the last day. And one day, cares will be all past. Troubles will be gone home at last ever to rejoice so you give God praise and believer I want you to know whatever you're going through this morning that your troubles didn't come to stay they came to pass Jesus is praying for you your church family is praying for you we're going to get through whatever we have to get through who knows what trials await us you know Peter's writing and the things were bad then but he says you've got a fiery trial that's coming to you things may get worse in this country before they get better I suspect they will but I want you to know that God is faithful and if we will put our faith and our trust in Him, He will be faithful to carry us through Amen. to the end. Brother Ronnie. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you. Come just as you are. Hear the Spirit calling.